Welcome to the new season of the Live Your Spa Life Show. The Spa and Spa Life stands for Seek Power Always, that divine power within you to do what you're here to do. The theme for this season is Freedom Fighter. Amazing people like you share ways to ensure your freedom physically, financially, spiritually, and in your relationships to create a world-class life. In these times of uncertainty, it's time for you to move past the distractions and start trusting yourself more through your God-given knowingness. No one truly knows better what's best for you than you. In this season, you'll have plenty of examples of people choosing their best life and giving a voice of freedom to those who are also looking to have their best life. Thank you for sharing your precious time with us and being part of the Live Your Spa Life conversation. With us here today is Heidi Marie Farron. Heidi is a writer, actress, vocalist, who is also the last and longest reigning Miss USO, performing and speaking across the globe in over a thousand venues and before four U.S. presidents. As a vocalist, Heidi's credits include performances with Taylor Swift, Patti LaBelle, and Lee Greenwood. She is currently preparing for her latest speaking series and book, America's Sweetheart, based on her life and work with service members. As a former foster youth and survivor of homelessness and incest, Heidi has passionately dedicated herself to helping young people use their story for good. She is a currently a court-appointed advocate for foster children, and part of her story was recently featured in the book Brave in Real Life to support Brave Global in their fight to end the exploitation of young people. Heidi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. Thanks. Thanks very much. Oh, you got it. And for those who are watching, I know for those of you who aren't listening, but I just want to say it out loud. I'm actually going to hold up the book, Brave in Real Life, uh, which Heidi is a featured author in here. And um, I want to kind of jump in with this because this book, I mean... Uh, People who listen to the show, they know that uh, we have a lot of survivors on the show. We really want to bring awareness uh, that it happens all across the board in, in many different ways. And these stories are about, you know, women who have overcome the sexual exploitation. So I would love for you, one, to share your your chapter, which I just thought was so great. Um, the, the chapter head of it is stickers only stick when you let them. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about um, why you chose that as as the uh, title of your chapter and a little bit about your journey in, in this. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Actually, Guy, um, who uh, put the entire book together, he, he pulled that out because that's from one of my favorite uh, books. It's actually a, a kid's book, but you know, I'm, I'm a kid at heart. I, I found the book as an adult, um, but it's about these little Wemmicks who um, every time, so if someone is beautiful, they get a gold star. And if, if someone has, you know, they're not what the community thinks of as beautiful, they get a red dot. And and that story meant a lot to me because at the end, not to ruin it for anyone, you should read the book. It's really great. Um, but the the wood the woodmaker on the hill, um, he find this Wemmick finds a little girl that the stickers don't stick to, and uh, she says it's because it's gonna make me cry. Um, it's because the 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 maker on the hill says that that you know he has the final say that that those that those words don't matter, and, and I think. I think that factors 
that story factored a lot into me because I actually talked about this um, for an incredible group of women who are all survivors of uh, trauma, specifically in the Middle East. And um, just this idea of uh, your, your story can be your superpower and not your marking. And, um, and I always think of, you know, when someone walks into a room, we part of kind of our survival mode is to start labeling things. It's it's a survival mechanism. We start saying, oh, this person's this, that, and the other, and it can become judgmental or, you know, oh, that person's never had anything bad happen to them. They've had an easy life. But but I think that that is uh, robs us of our our greatest strength, which is is in lifting each other up and in finding community. And um and I think that realizing that that those labels aren't us is uh, something that really impacted me because I had a lot of labels starting at a really young age, a right. lot of labels, right? And a lot of things that said I, sh- I shouldn't, you know, I should be a lot of different things right now. You know, I should be um, a drug addict. I should be. I should be not functioning. <laughs> there are a lot of things that were against me at the beginning. And if I had listened to the things people told me, I never would have done anything that um, I've been so fortunate to do. Right. Well, and one of the things that I think we're seeing as more awareness is getting out there is that everyone's story is their story. And you talk about, you know, trauma is trauma. It's not about comparing it to other people's trauma. It's about it's it's what it it taught you. It's what your own experiences are. And it's from that place that only that person can share, you know, what it meant to them, what they're going to do with it. And I'm seeing a lot more of the survivors talking in terms of not being a victim, right? And that's one of the things with this particularly with this podcast, when we say, you know, spa life, the SPA is seek power always, right? That power within you, um, that God-given power, that intuition, all those things that we have um, to overcome things in, in our life. And so, you know, one of the things that you talked about is that if you identify as a victim, that it takes your power away. And we want to be able to be the warriors we're here to be, to stand in that power and to really make our, our mark in the world. Um, you talked about how, you know, you had a life where you were silenced a lot and just a lot of the um, challenges that you had uh, with, you know, your father and just, you know, being in the, in the foster care system, uh, you know, how is it that you are utilizing your experience? Because now as an advocate, um, what are you telling young, young children that are part of the foster care system? Uh, that what's happening now is not, is not a, a sentence on your life, that this is part of, part of your story. It is not your whole story. And, um, for me, so I, uh, I, as a child, overcome homelessness, incest, molestation, abuse, um, and, and it didn't stop just with my biological father. Uh, and, and after the worst, kind of one of the worst incidences of abuse from him, I was taken and put into foster care where I was also abused. And I got to tell you, that's one, um, that is one time you, it's the aloneness that you feel as a four-year-old taken from the only sense of security that you've ever had, which would be my mother. My mom was 
the, my world and the only place I felt safe. And, um, it was really hard and awful, but I know I never felt alone. There was always, um, I had, a, my, my mom didn't, um, kind of force religion on me, but we were always in church and, and I had a, I had a close personal relationship with uh, Jesus when I was, and I had to, and that's the, I know that's how I got through. That's how I made it through foster care. And I never stopped fighting because I knew that wasn't the end. And I, and whatever it took, I didn't care what anybody said, I was going to keep fighting. And I try to instill that as well in young people that I meet that are, that are in the midst of something that feels hopeless. Right. It It is never hopeless because at the end of that, there's so much more. And I know even in my work with service members, I, I was terrified. I was terrified on the performance element. I had such, and I had been performing my whole life, but I had so much performance anxiety going into those rehearsals. But I learned through that, that all of these experiences, all of these you know, all of, all of the trauma that had, they, they actually were part of what made me available and, and made, made me able to make a difference in the lives of others because my heart knew what it was to feel alone. My heart knows what it is to, to be terrified and, and to not give up. And, and I try to pass that on to other people. Right. I, you know, one of the things that uh, I know listeners and, and myself as well want to be able to reach out and, and help this community, right? That it's so prolific in so many ways. Uh, and I feel like sometimes it's getting harder and harder to vet where to give, where to give your energies. Because, you know, in case in point, you talk about where you're supposed to go to this foster care, which is supposed to then protect you. And then there's a re-victimization. And that's not just an isolated incident with you. This is across the board. And a lot of these facilities are facades for human trafficking, for further abuse, for further things. You know, is there a way that you have found that um, people can vet and know where can you uh, put your your time and resources locally to be able to help people? Absolutely. Well, I I was very fortunate um, to link up with Brave Global. My uh, amazing sister friend, Danielle uh, Mater, actually introduced me to Miley with Brave and, and they are doing, they're doing such incredible, incredible things. Not only are they pouring into the lives of young people who have experienced exploitation and who are going through the foster care system they they empower them because you know at a certain age you're you're out of the system and you don't have a lot of tools and support to build your life from the ground up sometimes uh, so they they do they have educational opportunities and other ways to fortify and pour into the lives of young people so that they know, you know, not, you've got people praying for you. You've got people believing in you. And this is not, this is the beginning for you. This is not, this is not a, this is not a sentence. And, and then also as a CASA, I was so scared to do a lot of, the, the point of fear is to push through to the other side where there is victory. And I, I, uh, as a CASA, I knew how much work it would be. Um, but I had a moment where I was sitting there cause I didn't have a CASA, which is a court appointed, um, advocate for, for foster youth. And I, 
I would, I know if I had had a casa, it would have made all the difference. You know, I was, I was beat, beaten by my foster family and starved and it was, it was awful. But I, I, if I didn't have a really incredible social worker, that, that one person, um, I don't know what would have happened. It was, it was really, really rough. I didn't have somebody looking out for me, but that's what a casa is. It's a volunteer position who is only there to advocate for the youth, to, to be that voice because children for myself, you know, when I was in the system, they, they were trying to say that a four-year-old couldn't possibly remember everything that had happened. Um, that, that she's just a kid. Uh, and so I had to testify against my biological father and on the stand, I told the story beginning to end of Snow White and verbatim. And, um, and it was that story that made, they, it proved that a four-year-old not only can remember, but does remember. And then that story allowed me to go home to my mom. And, and, and that's why I think stories are, are so important. I mean, there's a reason that the Bible, you know, that Jesus used parables. It's the quickest way to a heart. It changes changes people, minds, hearts faster than legislation or anything else um, to, to talk to somebody's heart in that way. Right. So speaking of that, you know, first of all, how is it that you came into, uh, you know, being with the USO and, <laughs> uh, you know, you have lots of stories of sitting at the bedside of men and women in service, being pulled from the field. Uh, and, you know, that can be a very low and depressing state, you know, especially if you've been injured. Um, sh- share some of the stories that you've had in, in working with them and, and how you came into that position and how is it that you're now the last? <laughs> Well, I I mean, I don't know. Irreplaceable. No. Um, I'll go with that. um, Well, I had had kind of had my eye on the USO like growing up and I come from a long line of service members. Um, Actually, my, uh, I didn't realize this, but my biological father, who I'm not in contact with, but he, he was adopted and his so my biological grandmother was enlisted in the army in World War II, and I, I just, I, to come from, you know, even even not knowing her, it just it felt like I was part of a legacy. Um, but on my mother's side, we have family members that have served all the way to the revolution. So uh, I was excited to serve in that way, but I think. I'm getting, I'm, I'm going back to, this is how I became in, in a part of the USO. I, um, I, my mom, as I was growing up, we were, uh, we would perform in, you know, nursing homes and veterans hospitals. And, and when I got to New York and I auditioned, um, I got the call as I was crossing the street to perform with them. And I hesitated. I thought, oh no, what, what am I doing? I'm supposed to be a serious actor. I'm a, you know, all my friends were like, you can't do that. But then I sat my after hours of messages from my mother saying, "Are you kidding me? What this? I've prayed about it, Heidi. I really." And I thought, "Oh my goodness, Heidi, you, you have literally been preparing your whole life to do this." And then I thought of my dear friend. Um, his name's Aaron Mankin, and we'd grown up together and rode the school bus together. And I would bake really terrible cookies and send them to his unit. And we were just really good friends. And um, he uh, was, uh, he hit a improvised device in uh, just, just outside of um, 
Kandahar and um, he had third degree burns over three fourths of his body. And I remember the day I felt it when it happened. And he, I mean, he's had hundreds of surgeries and he's an advocate in his own right. And I knew that when it happened, I said, this horrible thing that has happened, Aaron is the kind of person that will take this and make the world a better place, not in spite of it, but because of it. And, and I thought I may not be able to see, to see him to, to, cause he was in San Antonio and, um, I said, but I, but I want to do this for people like Aaron. I, I want to be able to make them have a, a lighter, a lighter burden on their shoulders to be able to forget what they're walking into. Um, and, and because of the USO, I was actually able to uh, reunite with him again. We were both on the Intrepid and he was there uh, introducing Bill Clinton because we're both from Arkansas and I was there for the anthem. And, um, and it, I just, it, it's so wonderful to have him back in my life. He's, he's such a, an amazing human being. And he is an example of everyone I met, you know, coming from at that time too, a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of conversation about, you know, conflicts we should be involved in or not involved in these men and women give, they put their lives on the line so that we don't have to. And they walk into the face of danger, not there's fear, but but they do it anyway, and they do it for the greater good. And I just I can't be more grateful. And uh, I I remember in Walter Reed, um, there was a man who had literally been uh, pulled off of he, the field literally the night before. Um, he was missing both of his legs and an arm, and his father uh, and brother were there. And they were laughing hysterically when we went in, and I could feel how uh, how hard he was working to make them feel happy. And and I had a moment in the room where there's that moment where you know the tears come and your heart is aching, but I hit myself right then and thought, no, that is not my my job is to make his job easier. My job is to come in here and make sure that he gets to rest, that he doesn't he doesn't have to make everybody happy. He can chill out. And guess what? He's alive. He's alive. And it's wonderful. And and just story after story. There was a Battle of the Bulge event, which is, gosh, one of my most I tell stories all day. I don't want to just <laughs> rattle on. But... <laughs> no, no, I, I think it's great. You know, I think one of the things that, and this is where I think it's important for people to start engaging with their discernment, right? Because, you know, we can really start discerning where people's heart is at because, because let's just say an organization overall is maybe corrupt, right? Or maybe has not good, you know, thoughts and, and, you know, you can go all the way up, whether you're talking about a president, you're talking about an organization, you know, any of those type of things that we don't want to just blanketly think that they are here for good, right? It's their actions. It's, it's what they are doing and what that looks like. And even though an organization um, may be flawed with a lot of different things, there's almost always people within there that their intention is pure and their intention is good. And those are the people that we want to, you know, edify. Those are the people we want to bound together with. That's where you start looking at where, what are ways that we can share and help and, and edify those people so that not only their stories can be held, but that the people who were 
in situations that they thought they were going to be protected, but those institutions and those things actually harm them further. And yeah. so this is where we have to kind of, you know, peel the onion back and start looking at, okay, what's the totality here and be able to start doing things person to person and really start seeing how we can support each other. And I know that there's a lot of confusion and despair and fear. And that's one of the things is that, you know, you've been in, um, you've overcome come so many different things. How are some of the ways that you overcome fear? Um, <laughs> well, for prayer, I pray a lot. That's the, the first thing, the first go-to for me. And I mean, I will, I, I feel like I'm in a constant conversation. Um, and I know that that's gotten me through a lot. Uh, and, and also, you know, I, I just, I've always wanted to be a person that, uh, had, facility with like Bible verses. I have like my friend, Danielle, she can speak that word. And, and I've been working toward that, but I do have, you know, ones that just poke in my head, um, you know, and, and especially through the pandemic, uh, uh, when there were dark times, I just kept hearing, uh, Jeremiah for, I know the plans I have for you plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future. And it just kept hitting me over and over. And, um, and a lot of times I play Bible roulette where I just, you know, I'm like, okay, I'll pray before <laughs> and I'll be like, okay, what do you have for me? Pop it open. And then sometimes I'm like, I don't, I don't think you heard me. Um, I'm going to try it one more time. And <laughs> I actually, it's funny. I lost, um, I lost, a, we, we lost a, a dog. It was my mom's dog, but she was like my she was my, my girl and, um, she got do the dog doggy COVID and she was gone in 48 hours and it was devastating. Um, and anybody that's ever, uh, had, a you know, a, an animal that a service animal that they love like that, it, it just, it's really, the bond is unlike any other. And I remember feeling so sad and, and I came in and did my, I saw my Bible was sitting right by the television and I was like, over there. And I was like, it probably, it's probably, it's not going to work. It's probably, it's nothing. And I flipped it open and I just kind of put my finger down on a verse and it was, um, uh, even, even, even the dogs eat the crumbs from their master's table, daughter, your prayers are answered. Um, and for me in that moment, it was, I, it was like all these years of, you know, Bible roulette I've been playing. I was like, okay, you are listening. <laughs> I know you're listening. <laughs> right. Right. Well, it's so funny. Cause you know, when uh, you told me you, you did that, I do that. And I didn't think anybody else did that. And so I actually, <laughs> I brought my Bible and I thought, you know what, let's play a little Bible emergency roulette and see what the message is for us today. What is it going to be? <laughs> we are in Ephesians three. It says, through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Wow. <laughs> thank, you, oh, Jesus. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, it's like when, when you don't know where to go, it's like go to the word. And, you know, that's part of that power we talk about, that power within us that, you yeah. know, if you feel fearful or you feel like, you know, overwhelmed or you feel confused, right? It's like going to the word to be able to just have that direction. 
you know, bringing that, that hope and that energy that just allows you to take that one more step or allows you to go like, oh, okay, this is where, what you were trying to tell me. And that's part of that, that relationship uh, mm-hmm. that we have and, and to be able to just look at things in, in a completely different way. So um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit because, you know, this is also something we look at is terms of when people have felt disempowered, right? And how right. we move through some of those things to get to the other side, to stand in our power. Um, what is the situation that you felt um, empowered in and how did you move through it? Well, I, I already talked about being on the witness stand for sure. That was a, that was a biggie. Um, uh, many times, well, I have two thoughts come to mind. The first one, uh, it's, it's funny, but the first week of rehearsals for the USO, I was absolutely, um, terrified. I had, uh, I couldn't remember choreography and I, I, I was just, I felt like I was in fight or flight the whole time. And I would practice for hours, for hours. And I I was a dancer, but I wasn't a dancer dancer. And this was, you know, I was surrounded by, you know, rockets. And, um, but I learned in my first, um, actually, I'll, I'll tell one of my favorite stories next, but um, I learned in performance though, you know, I may not have the perfect turnout. I may not, I I may not do something perfect, which I definitely have that overachiever gene where I'm constant, you know, perfectionist, um, which is a challenge in its own right. But, um, but I realized that I, what I do have is my heart. I have my heart and, and that no matter what, that's what I could bring that I, that I, you know, I think I care bear stare. Like I, I put my heart in everything with everyone. And, and I know that that matters because it has always mattered to me, um, to make sure that everyone knows how special they are and that they're seen, that it is what you spoke of. It's that one-on-one relationship and pouring into the lives of the people around us, that it's not one, you know, like political party. It's not one. uh, We have to have a healthy distrust of of every institution. I think that's our job uh, because that's how, you know, iron sharpens iron. You you pour into the things that matter, um, but care enough to really look at them. And um, and then another time, um, that's a a small one, but I remember um, I was, I was in forced visitation, uh, with my biological father and, um, it it was always supposed to be supervised and it still was, but from afar. And I, I do not hate him. I do not think hate is healthy. Um, but when I was a kid, I did not like him. (laughs) I I did not want to be around him, obviously for very obvious reasons, but you, the court does what the court does. Um, and we were still in the middle of everything then. And I remember I was trying to get away from him and, um, he just kept coming closer and closer. And, um, he, I wouldn't, I didn't want to be near him and I wouldn't speak to him. And so he, he took a chunk out of my leg. He pinched it like 
hot, like grabbed the skin hard. And I was a kid. So that's basically my whole thigh got pinched right. and I screamed bloody murder and, uh, everyone came running and he lied and said, you know, oh, why? I don't know. She just randomly started doing it. And I lost my, I just lost it. I climbed on top of a car pounded with my feet, tore at my hair, and I was screaming at the top of my lungs, you know, and I said, get away from me. You're my, I said, I'm Wonder Woman. You're not going to touch me or my mother ever again. And, and he had to leave. Mm. He had to go. And I, to this day, I can, I feel that, that power, the, the, the refusal to let injustice stand. And I think it <laughs> feeds through a lot of my life. But, um, but I actually hold on to that. I hold on to the power of that, you know, four-year-old little girl that was not going to let anybody push them around anymore. And, um, and I think everybody's got a raging four-year-old little girl inside of them. We just got to hold, hold on to her. (laughs) I love that. You know, I love how you, you know, you and I've talked before about how, uh, you, if you look at the portrayal of any of the superheroes that they've always come from challenge. And, you know, if you look at what challenges you have and know that you can be the superhero of that, that you can look at it and go like, that is not going to define me. That's not going to be who I am. Um, I am not going to be silenced. I'm going to be able to, you know, speak my mind and, you know, speak for those who can't speak and to help people to find their voice so that they can do that. And I think that is such an important thing, Um, which reminds me, I have kind of a a funny question I love to ask um, my guests. And I think it'll be interesting for you in particular, because (laughs) you did move around quite a bit. You were in foster, you did experience being homeless. Mm -hmm. And now as an adult, um, having your own home, uh, we have different experiences in our home. We live differently in our bedroom versus our kitchen or our office. So what now is your favorite room in your home and why? Oh, man. Actually, it's the uh, room that I'm in right now, which is like a an office. But it the <laughs> there are two rugs that don't match, but they make me so happy. <laughs> My mom had such a problem with it. She's like, they can't, can you just get two that match? And I said, no, I can see the bright colors of this one out of the corner of my eye when I'm at my desk. And it makes me happy. It makes me happy because it's my space. And, and, and I think that I think of, I think of, you know, everyone needs, everyone needs a space, whether it's, and sometimes even even in a room, I like to be in a corner in a little cubby. I like small spaces, um, which is funny because I'm a, not a small person. I am tall, and but I like to be compact. And I think, I just think that those are all great. I mean, I think it's great. I think it's great that my rugs don't match. I think it, I'm just <laughs> grateful to have a place where rugs can't match and to be able to say... Um, I don't need my rugs to match. Makes me happy and that's great. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love it so much. Well, I know, Heidi, that people are going to want to stay in contact with you. How can they best do that? Uh, Yes, absolutely. So there's LinkedIn, of course, and uh, Instagram. I'm on the Instagram. It's Heidi underscore Marie Farron. And then on my website, HeidiMarieFarron.net. Perfect. And we'll have those in the show notes as well for people to find those more easily. And then as you know, uh, for this season, our theme is people who are uh, fight- fighting for their freedoms, right? They're standing as fight and freeders. 
feeders. <laughs> Say that <laughs> times, right? So yeah. how is it that you are being a freedom fighter in the world today? I I am constantly looking for things to fight for <laughs> um, and people to fight for. So whether it's I, I be, whether it's literally pouring into the lives of the of a stranger, stopping to say, you know, I really love your dress. That is wonderful. We the more we can do that for each other, the better because we're in it together. We we are in it to win it, and if we're going to win it, we got to do it together. And then also just looking for organizations to partner with or. Uh, train. I I do uh, human uh, traffic anti human trafficking advocacy trainings and and I if I have some time I try to put it where it's going to make a difference. Um, I also work with Sandpipers, uh, which is a, a great group that helps um, uh, women and children coming out of uh, domestic abuse uh, situations. And um, it it doesn't have to be a lot, but a little can do a lot. Um, and so what is that? All the drops, all the drops in the ocean, they make an ocean. <laughs> what is that phrase? Um, I, it matters. Even, right. even the small stuff really, really, really matters. And so I try to, to uh, do it all. Thank you so much. It's, thank you for just your wisdom. Thank you for being brave. Thank you for everything that you do in helping other people and sharing your story and being vulnerable in that way. Uh, even for just that one listener out there that, that hears this, that can have hope that they can change that, um, just know that you've made that difference. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I, you're amazing. Thank you so much for all you do. This show is great. Thank you. My pleasure. So for all of our listeners out there, thank you so much for being here. And until we connect again, live your spotlight. Bye for now. Bye-bye.